a cop, an actor, and a lawyer. It's not another bad joke, I promise. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. Um, kind of sounds like it. Uh, but what this morning's message is really about is conviction. So everybody say conviction. Okay. So as I was reading about these three folks, the cop, the actor, and the lawyer, this theme of conviction kept coming back to me. Okay? And before we get into this whole idea of conviction and, and where this is going with the message this morning, I need to build a little background for you. All right? So if you want to, uh, if you have it on you, go to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Okay, 24th chapter, the book of Joshua. Um, and I, I got to set like the, the backdrop for this, okay? So Joshua has gathered the people at Shechem. And this is going to be a covenant renewal. This is a big moment, okay? There, there's lots of emotions around this gathering. Um, they've crossed over the Jordan. They've finally taken the promised land. They've, you know, divvied up the land. And now we've gathered, and I want you to keep a couple of things in mind as I read this. As I go through, I'll kind of pick them apart and, and kind of help you to zero in on a few things. But I'm going to start with uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Here we go. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Now, as the scripture continues, I want you to focus on something for me, because there's going to be an alternating phrase. You're going to see you, and then you're going to see it switch with your ancestors or your fathers. So you're going to see this switch back and forth. The other thing I want you to notice is listen to how God delineates everything that he did for them. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and over them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you out of the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. 
and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Usually these fire up speeches that are given, they kind of start with this idea of, um, I led you out of Egypt. That's usually where that starts. But Joshua takes us all the way back to the time when he said, they serve other gods. That was what he wanted to highlight. And then, through every step of the way, God is saying, I did this for you. You didn't do this. This isn't you. This is me. I did this. I brought you here. I brought you to this point. So, let's get a visual here, okay? Um, All the people are gathered in Shechem. Now, Shechem was a a pretty large city. We've done all kinds of archaeological digs. We found a lot of cool stuff. So, Shechem was a large city, okay? And there were these massive courtyard temples, all right? This was a center for pagan worship for a long time. So the setting is important here as Joshua gathers the people. So we have these massive temples to false idols. We have this, they actually have uh, the remnants of this tower that was like 38 square feet and it was made out of these rough-hewn stones. So this is, this is kind of an intimidating place. It's where they gather, gathered to worship false idols. So, a time to look at where they had been. This is why they gathered. This was an important moment. There's anticipation in the air. This is a time to look at, okay, we've been here and we came to this point and now we're moving forward. We're marking a day, okay? Um, There's a sense of anticipation, a sense of like what's next. And whenever I was reading about this, I couldn't help but think about like the feelings that surround the baptism. Like we baptized Brianna over here a couple of weeks ago and there's this feeling of like, okay, there's been this past, but now we're marking this point in time and the future is going to be different. So this is what's happening at Shechem. Joshua has the people gathered and he sets the tone right away. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So that was the background, okay? Tuck that somewhere in the side of your brain back there. We're going to come back to it, I promise, okay? Now I want to get back to what I started with. Everybody say conviction. Okay, so the cop, the actor, and the lawyer. The lawyer, you probably know. The word conviction comes from the Latin vincere, which means to conquer. And the idea here is that When you are convicted, that belief conquers all the other beliefs in your mind. That feeling, that certainty overrides everything else. And if you have even a cursory knowledge of Abraham Lincoln, you're aware that he had very strong convictions. Um, And I'm not necessarily talking about his religious convictions, but of his ideals. One of my favorite Lincoln quotes goes like this. You can have anything you want if you want it badly enough. You can be anything you want to be, do anything you set out to accomplish if you hold to that desire with singleness of purpose. 
This man led us to one of the most tumultuous times in history, by far. Uh, <laughs> I love, like, I, get, I, I follow a lot of politics on Twitter, and, and I love when I'm on Twitter, when I'm watching a news source or whatever, and they say, you know, we, we are more divided now than we've ever been. Eh, there was that, you know, whole Civil War thing. So, um, so Lincoln led us through a very, very difficult time, to say the least. And he had to endure his own failures, his op- the opposition to him and all the hate, the political pitfalls that he had to, to maneuver around. And he even kept personal threats, death threats, on his desk as a reminder. And you have to have some pretty serious overarching convictions to make it through all of that and to drive you to see what is beyond the present pain. On the night that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by a coward, he wore a Brooks Brothers coat. And on the inside of that Brooks Brothers coat in the silk lining inside, the black silk lining, there was stitched a bald eagle. And it had a backdrop of stars and stripes. And there was an inscription. It said, one country, one destiny. That's conviction. The actor, you might know. John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth was the man who stepped into the presidential box that night at Ford's Theater, pulled out a 44 caliber Derringer, and shot the lawyer from the Midwest in the back of the head. Major Henry Rathbone was the president's guest that night after multiple people had turned him down. Uh, And Major Rathbone jumped up to catch Booth. Booth pulls out a knife, slices Rathbone across the arm, and attempts to jump from the presidential box down to the stage, about 12 feet. As he's going over the side, his spur hooks the treasury guard flag that was on front of the president's box, and he lands awkwardly on the stage, hurting his ankle. Okay. Booth was an actor. He had designed everything around this moment. He holds the knife, the bloody knife, above his head, and there's lots of different accounts, but most believe he said, six semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. The South is avenged. Sadly, that man had convictions too, however misplaced they were. You see, he believed he was going to be hailed as a hero. Booth put a lot of planning into this. 41 days prior to the assassination in Ford's Theater, he had attended Lincoln's second inaugural address. And he had written in his diary, what an excellent chance I had if I wished to kill the president on inauguration day. Booth had convictions. He was even convicted enough that he gathered a team of conspirators. Lincoln was not the only one that was supposed to die that night. Secretary of State and the Vice President. But Booth was the only one that succeeded. After a 12-day manhunt, Booth was shot and killed. And four of those that had been a part of his plan were executed also, uh, including Mary Surratt, who was the first woman never to be hanged by the United States government conviction. The cop, you may not know. John Frederick Parker 
was one of the original members of the Metropolitan Police Force of the District of Columbia, created in 1861. And he was one of the four men assigned to the security detail for Abraham Lincoln on the night he attended Ford's Theater. Let's just say that John Frederick Parker lacked conviction. He was reprimanded multiple times for dereliction of duty. He was often drunk on the job, um, was caught sleeping in streetcars when he was supposed to be working, uh, and even frequented a brothel. Parker showed up for work three hours late the night of April 14, 1865, and was told to hurry to Ford's Theater and take his post to protect the president. You see, John Frederick Parker was to be positioned at the entrance to the president's box. So he finally arrives at his post in the narrow hallway leading to where the president is watching our American cousin. He doesn't like his seat. Can't see what's going on. So he moves. And he takes his seat in the crowd to watch the show. At the intermission, he decides to go to the bar, the Star Saloon nearby. Oddly enough, it's the same bar where John Wilkes Booth is storing up on liquid courage for what he is about to do. So, as Booth makes his way down the small corridor to look through the hole that he's drilled in the back of the president's box to see his target, he passes the spot where the only man that could have done anything to stop what was about to happen should have been. If he'd have the conviction to do his duty. But he didn't. And he wasn't there. He was charged with neglect of duty, but the case was dismissed, and believe it or not, he was kept on the force. He was later fired for sleeping on the job. And today he occupies an unmarked grave in Glidwood Cemetery in Washington, D.C. The grave being left unmarked in recognition of his role of what happened to President Lincoln. An unmarked grave and a lack of conviction. So when we were wrapping up our series this week on love dates and heartbreaks with the youth, um, we talked about one of Andy Stanley's uh, beliefs that are kind of going into this thought, and it was called the, the knowing myth. And what he meant by the knowing myth was this idea that just because you know something, you, we think we're automatically going to do the right thing. Just because you know what the right thing is, we have this weird belief that, well, I know what the right thing is, I'm going to do it. Not always the case. Just because we've learned something doesn't mean we no longer needed to be taught or reminded about it. That's why on the 124th day of school, and I go around to do my homework check like I have done for the 123 previous days in a row every single morning, and I walk by someone's desk and I say, I need to see your homework. They say, I know. Well, if you knew, then why is it not there? Just because we know something doesn't mean we're going to act on it. Just because we know the right thing to do doesn't mean we're going to act on it. It's the same reason why when you talk to your teenager about 
whatever stupid thing it is that they're doing, they'll say, I know. And then they'll continue to do that stupid thing. (laughs) It's not that they don't know what's right. It's conviction. That knowledge without conviction is useless. If you have the knowledge of right and wrong, but lack the conviction to follow through and to keep that center stage, then it's all just lost. In Proverbs 29, 18, we're told, and I want to do a, a, a few different translations here because I want you to see something. Uh, Proverbs 28, 19. In the King James Bible, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Uh, the NIV, New, New International Version. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. And the ESV English Standard Version. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The word there for the people perish or they cast off restraint, the Hebrew is para. And the visual that's given, like, like the idea behind it, is when a woman lets down her hair and shakes it out. Goes everywhere. Okay? Cast off restraint. The people perish. Without a conviction of your beliefs, people perish. So... I'm told that sometimes I'm too aggressive when I talk about my faith or when I preach or when I share things with people. And to be honest, I, I don't know how to feel about that. I really don't. Um, but I do know this. I talk to a lot of folks. Okay. Um, I'm blessed to have two jobs where I I get to interact with a lot of folks. (laughs) Sometimes it's a blessing. Uh, (laughs) So I get to talk to a lot of people. And a lot of people tell me, and and in fact, three in this past week told me, look, you know, I love God. But I'm just trying to stay in my bubble and get things done and take care of what I got to take care of. And I get it. I totally get that. Okay? I'm the exact same way. I'm just trying to keep up with work, trying to keep up with stuff at school, trying to keep up with the things I do here. I'm just trying to keep laundry caught up, you know, keep stuff caught up at my house. I'm just, you know, trying to juggle all that stuff. And I'm always kind of head down, but then and I look up. And what I see is that in our culture, we are celebrating every kind of sin imaginable. In our society, we are expected to celebrate sexual immorality. Not only that, but but we're expected to, to push it on our kids. We celebrate these things and, and they're, they're expected, it's, it's expected to entertain us. 
and we laugh about it. And, and I'm not, I don't want you to think, I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about all sexual sin, adultery, lust, sex before marriage, any of it. We are just hit by this avalanche of things by our culture. And without conviction, it goes unchecked. According to 2019 Pew polls, 61% of people, or sorry, 61% think that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. I would love to follow that up and tell you the number of Christians. That is the number of Christians. That's the number that was assigned to mainline Protestants, whatever that is. 61% believe that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb. 56% of Catholics. And even what they label white evangelical Christians, 23% believe that's okay. That belief is mutually exclusive from this. Those two things don't go together. Just like the other things we shared. You cannot believe that and that. And I don't I don't want to just have you think I'm talking about that. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about lust, gluttony, greed, pride, whatever, name it, tick them off, okay? I'm not focusing on one person, I'm focusing on all of us. I don't want our past to handcuff us from preaching the full word of God. We have to have conviction. Now, you can just talk about all the happy stuff in the Bible. You can make people smile and, you know, share out those cute little things with all the hearts and stuff on it. And that's great. And it makes people happy. And that's awesome. It's not conviction. Conviction is taking that book as a whole and doing your absolute best to honor God and messing up. And then you get back up again, believing in the promises that God gave us, and try again and mess up. (laughs) But you just keep getting back up because you know that this is true. Conviction is putting your foot down to the culture and saying, no more. Conviction is questioning someone when they say something that they believe in the God of the Bible, and then they say something that absolutely contradicts what this says. That's conviction. And that brings us back to Shechem. Surrounded by monuments built to false idols, just like we are today. We surround ourselves with all these things that we've built to to make us think that we have control to make us think that we're the ones that can determine everything. It was not by your sword or by your bow. We are are simply 
the beneficiaries of salvation. We're not the authors. God is reminding us, you didn't do this. It was me, it was him. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. We don't bring anything to salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. So, we do this again. Why do they gather at Shechem? Why, why does Joshua get the people together? Why do we do that? Why do we do these things over and over and over again? This is the part you have to remember. Okay, stay with me, because I'm getting ready to close, but this has to stick. If you forget everything else, that's okay. Don't forget this part. Joshua knows that the people that came before him served other gods. He said it. They served other gods. Joshua knows that the people at Shechem, some of them will lack the conviction to leave that place and stay loyal to the one true God. They will fail. He knows it. God knows that in the generations to come, there will be people that will turn away to false gods. It's going to happen. But nonetheless, here stands Joshua, nearing the end of his life, and he stands before all the tribes. And it's not just what he says, but it's the fact that he has the conviction to say it. He stands before all of the people, starting at verse 14, and he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't think that I'm too aggressive when I talk about my faith. <laughs> I get those three words. Choose this day. Everybody's making a choice. Inaction is a choice. Being convicted of the one true God is a choice. But you have to make a choice. Joshua is not saying this as a sovereign leader. Joshua is saying it as an example. You do what you all got to do. But as for me and my house, this is what we are doing. You do this every single day. When you get up in the morning, you choose. When you get out of bed every single morning, you are choosing to either serve the one true God that brought you to that point by sustaining you with breath and, and sustaining the creation that he made, or you are choosing to serve something infinitely less. Now, I never want us to leave without a challenge or a, a thought or, or something to go away with, so stay with me here for a second. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine 
what today would look like. If when you walk out those doors and you're back with your family or you're back with your friends or you're back wherever, whatever you got going on today, I want you to imagine what it would be like if the conviction we have here would hold true. What if, if we had in the past, what if we no longer found sin funny because we are convicted otherwise? What if we no longer allowed people to misrepresent the truth of the Bible because we're convicted? And what if we could love one another because we are truly convicted that the maker of heaven and earth loved us first? Let's pray. Father God, um, focus us. Center us on what you would have us do. And today with everything we do, just give us what we need for today. For every conversation, for every hard conversation, for every discussion, for every interaction with our, with our friends, with our kids, with our spouses help us to be convicted of your truth of your word help us to be convicted of the peace that you bring to us through your promises help us to be convicted by your law of liberty help us to put our foot down when we need to help us to stand fast no matter what comes at us. Give us everything we need for today to truly be your ambassadors and keep you in the center stage of our minds. We thank you for every one of those blessings that brought us here. And we thank you for the blessings that are going to carry us through this day. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Would you rise so I can leave you with a blessing, please? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you now and forever. God is good. And all the time, go in peace. Have a great week, guys.